So, you know, growing up Catholic, uh, did you did you grow up Catholic? Yep. Or, yep. 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 So growing up Catholic, um, what did you feel like you had to do to be saved? Uh, how did you know if you'd done enough to be saved and to stay saved? Um, well, the obvious answer is you had to be perfect. Um, that was always the feeling that I always had, that you had to say the right things, do the right things, a lot of structure, a lot of following traditions and so forth. It felt very, you earn your way. It was something where you did good deeds, you um, donated enough money. It was all based on your actions and your thoughts, and so you had to balance out good deeds against your horrible, awful deeds, um, and then confess your sins to a priest. I always struggled with that. I always struggled with just kind of going through the motions of taking classes and is this going to be enough? And I remember actually helping out in church one day cleaning and I could tell you exactly where I was at. Um, and I just looked up and I was like, there's got to be more. There has to be more than just doing classes and, you know, volunteering and cleaning the church. Well, you had to do good works and you had to not sin. Um, and when you did sin, you needed to confess to the priest uh, to be forgiven, obviously, because we're all sinners. I sinned shortly thereafter. Um, so I always felt like there was something I was doing wrong. There, I wasn't ever doing enough. As far as being saved and knowing when you qualified to be saved, that was always the $64,000 question. Uh, you never really knew what that goal was. You just knew you had to stay on the straight and narrow and continue to be perfect. Make sure you're making all the right choices and then you may go to heaven. You don't really know. You uncomfortable yet? See people squirming in their seats. I'm uncomfortable just being up here having to do this. So, uh, you know, life's most important question, and really the question every world religion asks, is what must I do to be saved? And saved from and to, saved to, it's defined differently, you know, by every world religion. But under Christendom, the question is, what must I do to be saved from my penalty of sin, from, from hell? What my, and what must I do to be saved into eternal life with God, into heaven? Unfortunately, two divergent answers are given between uh, the Catholic and the Protestant church. And as a result, these two divergent answers have created a lot of confusion, a lot of division in churches and communities and families, a lot of fear, uncertainty, differing, a lot of differing views of God, a lot of guilt for many people for many, many centuries. Regardless of your church background, Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, non-denominational, I guarantee you have felt it and you have experienced it. But before I kind of go any further, I, I just want to give you a real brief church history lesson about how we got here. And this is a 30,000 foot view, leaving a lot of details out. But the events of Jesus' life take place at the beginning of the first century. Before Jesus physically left this earth after his death and resurrection, he established his church, his gathering, his community of followers, his, his community of people who have put their faith in him to be his hands and feet in the world. Well, by the end of the first century, Jesus' apostles, those who had walked with him and, and heard him teach and, and were his friends, who met him personally face to face, face to face, his apostles had taken the message of Jesus, the, the good news of his death and resurrection and what that means for every single person throughout the Roman Empire, and there was a local church, a local community of Christ followers in every corner of the Roman Empire. 
Well, when you get to the second century, all of Jesus' apostles are now dead. The church grew throughout the Roman Empire uh, throughout the second century as more and more people became followers of Christ. Then, in the late fourth century, Constantine, who is the emperor of Rome, you've heard about Constantine in, in history class, Constantine, who is the emperor of Rome, became a follower of Christ and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, at that time, Rome began to use the title Catholic Church as a name for their new official religion. And Catholic, it just means universal. Now, for the first 300 years after Jesus, you've got to understand that the church was on the fringes of society. But the moment Constantine made Christianity the official religion of, of, of Rome, the church became married to the Roman government. And when that happened, things started to go south. The church became political. Salvation was no longer about what you believed about Jesus as it wasn't much about having a proper relationship with the church and with Rome. And church leaders, they were given more power and authority and they sought more power and authority. And that led to ugliness for many, many centuries in, church, in the church. And you guys, no one should try to justify or make excuses for all the ugliness in church history and there's a lot of it, and I mean a ton of it, and we should never ever try to justify it or make excuses for it. Then we get to the 16th century. In the 16th century, an event referred to as the Reformation occurred. Now, in short, the Reformation started because some leaders within the Catholic Church, like Martin Luther, accused the Catholic Church of teaching doctrine that was contradictory to what the writers of Scripture wrote. The, through, through a series of horrific and ugly events, the Catholic Church accused these leaders, like Martin Luther, of heresy, and they excommunicated them. And what we now call the Protestant Church was born. The definition of a Protestant Church is any Christian church that separated from the Church of Rome during the Reformation, or any group or church that descended from them. Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Evangelical, us, we are considered a Protestant Church. Out of the Reformation, the title Roman Catholic Church became the official name for the Church of Rome, whose head is the Pope, and is still used as the official name today. Now, one of the fundamental points that caused the Reformation and that Catholics and Protestants have been divided on ever since is around the question, what must I do to be saved? Now, we... Relevant, as a Protestant church, we agree with the Catholic church on some very important things. But the, answer to this, but, but the answer to this very question, we answer it very differently than how the Catholic church answers it. And that's created a lot of tension for many of you. Since, since we live in Omaha, which is predominantly Catholic, many of you grew up in a home that was Catholic. If not by practice, by name. As a matter of fact, I would say 60% of relevant community church is what I would call decatholicized Catholics, which basically means you grew up Catholic, you like went through, conf you know, you, you got baptized Catholic, you went through confirmation, you know, and after that, you kind of, maybe after high school, you kind of disengaged from it when your parents didn't make you go anymore, and, and, uh, and you've always believed in God, never had an issue with Jesus, you know, I've always had a faith there, but you, you just had no interest in that, and then for some reason, at some point in time, you're like, I want to start on my spiritual journey, journeying toward God again, but I don't want to do it through the Catholic church. I want to do it through a different way. That's what would describe about 60% of our church. You don't want to go to the Catholic church, but you have a lot of guilt. You don't want to go the Catholic, back to the Catholic church, but you have a lot of confusions, a lot of confusion and questions and fear. 
and family pressure. And you're compelled to do things. Right, you're like, I don't want to go back, but the second you have a baby, you're like, I got to get back there and baptize this baby. And you got all this stuff, and you're not sure why that you have all these confusions and guilt, and why you feel the way that you feel. Well, that's the reason that I chose to do this series. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to try to answer this question, what must I do to be saved, based on how I believe the writers of Scripture answered that question. Specifically, I'm going to address four topics that the Catholic Church teaches about how to get saved and stay saved, you know, stay in good God's good graces. I'm going to unpack them a little bit, and I'm going to shed some light on what I believe the writers of Scripture were communicating. Now, you got to know, my goal is not to bash Catholicism. That's not beneficial for anybody. I have no desire to do that. Some of my greatest friends are Catholics. I have no desire to offend my Catholic friends. My goal of this series is not to every, answer every question you have. I absolutely do not have time to do that. My goal of this series is not to act like I know everything because I don't know everything. I'm not a Catholic scholar, and I am not the authority on every subject. And my goal of this series is not to act like we, Relevant Community Church, or any other ch Protestant church is perfect because we are far from perfect, and we got our own whole set of issues in ourselves. Uh, we disagree all kinds of with each other. My goal of this series is to help all of us who say that we're followers of Christ, Catholic or not, whether you grew up Catholic, you say you used to be Catholic, you say you still are Catholic, you have Catholic friends, you have no idea what Catholicism even is if you don't. That blows my mind. But my goal is anyone who says they're a follower of Christ, my goal in this series is to help all of us break free from some unnecessary guilt and fear and confusion and pressure that we maybe have, have or have experienced. My goal of this series is that all of us would know our Heavenly Father's extravagant love for us more. My goal of this series is for all of us who say we're followers of Christ to have assurance of our salvation because of Jesus' work on the cross. And my goal of this series is for all of us who say we're followers of Christ to take next steps to follow Jesus and. Instead of set of some religious rules so that we experience the life and hope and peace and joy and fulfillment that he can and wants to give us when we do. Now, you got to know, the one word that Catholics and Protestants agree on in regards to salvation is the word grace. And the shortest, most concise definition of grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited means I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's undeserved. It's unconditional. Grace is getting something for nothing. Grace costs the person who's dispensing it, but not the person who's receiving it. Grace is favor that is neither earned or deserved by the person on the receiving end. Grace is about getting exactly what we don't deserve on the positive end. Now, the one thing that we you know, we fully agree with the Catholic Church on uh, is that the only way a person can be saved is because of God's grace. For Catholics, for Protestants, God's grace is at the epicenter of salvation. It's God saying, I'm not, I'm not doing this just because, I'm, I'm going to do this just because I want to. I'm not leveraging your character, I'm leveraging mine. It's not because of your goodness, it's because of my goodness. Because of who I am, I am going to do something for you that you don't deserve and that you could not earn. Now, the, the passage in the Bible where this whole idea of grace is most clearly explained is found in the New Testament book of Ephesians. The Ephesians, this, this ancient document that eventually ended up in our Bibles is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church, to a local church, to a local you know, gathering community of Christ followers in the city of Ephesus in about 65 AD, so about 30 years after the events of Jesus' life. And in this letter to this church community, Paul, the Apostle Paul gives some extraordinary insight into the immensity of God's grace and how to embrace it. But he starts off a little bit negative. This is what he says. He says, 
As for you, speaking to those who are saved. Well, Paul, how are we saved? He's like, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. As for you, you were, which is past tense, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He goes on to say, like the rest, referring to the world, like the rest of the world, we were by nature deserving of wrath from Holy, Holy Creator God. Now, you got to know, according to Jesus According to the writers of the New Testament, whether we want to admit it or not, and whether we like it or not, we are all sinners. Jesus, however, talked about sin in a very interesting way. He talked about it in a way that may surprise some of you based on the way that you've been told or the way that you've been raised. Jesus talked about sin in the context of a very key word, and that word is relationship. The point that Jesus continually made is that sin is such a violation against, against God that it breaks relationship with him. Jesus made it so clear that sin is such a violation against holy creator God that it breaks the relationship with him that he created us for. The, the writers of scripture tell us the relationship with God we broke because, because of our sin against him comes with a huge penalty and that penalty is death and it's why I always say sin does not make you bad sin makes you dead it breaks relationship with our heavenly father it separates us from God the creator of life the giver of life both in this life and in the next and Paul said both here in Ephesians and in other places all are dead because all have sinned all have a broken relationship with holy creator God because all are sinners all stand condemned before God and all are deserved of his wrath because of their violation of sin against him. Implication being, we're completely undeserving of any favor from God. And the news gets worse. We're completely helpless. Our violation of sin against Holy Creator God is too big to overcome by any of our efforts. You and I owe a debt to God that we cannot pay back because you and I are in fact a sinner. There's nothing we can do to get out of this mess. We stand condemned before him and we deserve nothing but death. We deserve nothing but his wrath. The only way out, the only way for a restored relationship, the only way that we could possibly be forgiven for our sin, the only way we could ever have right standing with God, the only way to be saved from our death penalty is for God himself to do something which makes the next two words of verse 4 so amazing. But God. Just when things couldn't look any more hopeless for us, but God. These two words, two words stand in stark contrast to how many of us normally approach God. The two words that many of us normally use, say, or pray are, but I. God, I've done some bad things, but I will do better. God, I know I haven't talked to you in a while, but I will start. I know I really screwed up this time, but I will fix it. I know I shouldn't have, but I promise, but I, but I, but I. And Paul's going, that's not how it works with your heavenly father. Anytime you think you can do uh, something about this, you underestimate the effects of sin, and you overestimate your ability to do something about it. The moment that we come to the terms with the fact that with the fact that you are in fact a sinner, that you have sinned against God, that you are dead in your sin, that you stand condemned before holy creator God, that you're the one who broke relationship with God, and that you deserve nothing but God's wrath, and that you are helpless, 
Remember the two greatest words ever uttered. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, whereas grace is being given what you don't deserve, mercy is getting what you do. Uh, excuse me, mercy is not getting what you do. And as sinners, we, know, we now know what we deserve from God, but God was rich in mercy toward us instead. And how is he rich in mercy? By sending his sinless, perfect son, Jesus, to be sacrificed on the cross in our place to save us from the death penalty that we deserved for our violation of sin against God. What you and I were helpless to do for ourselves but God through Jesus did for you and for me. God, being rich in mercy, did not give us what we deserved. Instead, he offered us salvation and forgiveness, a forgiveness we could not earn and cannot get any other way. Why would God do such a thing? Well, I hope this next phrase gets driven deep in your heart. Because of the great love. With which he loved us. What have I done to deserve what Jesus did for me on the cross? And God would say, nothing. As a matter of fact, you, do, you, you did everything to not deserve it. But because of my great love for you, I did for you what you could not do for yourselves. This is so important. God doesn't want anything from you. And God doesn't need anything from you. He wants something for you. The cross is overwhelming evidence of that. Paul says, because of God's great love for us, he made us, those, those who are saved, and how are, how are we saved? Well, Paul's going, I'm getting to that. He made us alive with Christ. That's, by the way, present tense. That's present tense. That's completed tense. That's not someday tense. He's made us alive. It's completed. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead, but God made us alive. We broke relationship with God, but God restored our relationship. We deserved wrath of the wrath of God, but God forgave us. We deserved eternal death, being separated from God, but God saved us. And then Paul sums it up all this for us. He said, it is by grace you have been saved. When, when we were separated from God, but God. Not because of but me. Remember, we're helpless. But God, because of his great love for you and me, offered us what we don't deserve and could never earn. Forgiveness, redemption, salvation, and eternal life. And how awesome is that? It's amazing. After Paul hits on a few other things, he actually circles back around to this idea of grace again just to make sure we didn't miss it. He says, verse 8, for it is by grace, which means that's God's unmerited favor, by grace you have been saved. And then he adds something he left out for the, for the first time. Through faith. Paul said, hey, the way this all becomes a reality for you is a single act of faith and trust in Jesus. According to Paul, faith is the means by which God's amazing grace is appropriated to us. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, not a but I. It's a gift, a gift, a gift of God. And just in case you still don't get it, Paul says, not by works, not by anything we do, so that no one can boast. This is a gift. A grace gift you didn't deserve, didn't earn, and weren't expecting. 
God didn't leverage anything you did. God didn't, you know, leverage your character. He didn't leverage your goodness. He leveraged his own. He did something for you that you and I did not deserve because of his great love for you and for me. He made salvation available to, available to you as a gift. This gift can't be gotten by anything we do. It can only be accepted through faith in Jesus because of what he did. What must I do to be saved? Well, according to Paul, who would know, because he met Jesus face to face, is we are saved by grace through faith alone. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. Our relationship with God is restored by grace through faith alone. We have a right standing with God by grace through faith alone. We're forgiven for our past, present, and future sins by grace through faith alone. We're saved from the death penalty of sin by grace through faith alone. We have assurance of salvation by grace through faith alone. And we are given eternal life by grace through faith alone. Because of God's great love for you and for me, it is by grace you are saved through faith in Jesus alone, not by your works, not by your efforts, not by your religious actions. It's a gift from God. We, along with the Catholic Church, believe the only way a person can be saved is because of God's grace. We, along with the Catholic Church, believe Jesus' sacrifice on the, on the cross made salvation available. But you got to know, the Catholic Church does not believe we're saved by grace through faith alone. As a matter of fact, one of the fundamental points of division that caused the Reformation in the 16th century was faith in Jesus alone, that, was, that faith in Jesus alone was necessary for salvation. Leading up to the 16th century, a doctrine had emerged within Catholicism that salvation is from Jesus, not through faith alone. Salvation is through the Catholic Church. According to the Catholic Catechism, there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church because God dispenses his grace through the Catholic Church. This is actually a quote from the, from the Catholic Catechism. It is through Christ's Catholic Church alone, which is the all-embracing means of salvation, that the fullness of the means of salvation can be obtained. How the Catholic Church teaches they dispense God's grace is through what they call sacraments, of which there are seven Catholic sacraments. There is baptism, the Eucharist, confirmation, confession, also known as reconciliation or penance, anointing the sixth, formerly known as extreme unction, marriage, and ordination or holy orders. You got to know by the 16th century, the Catholic Church had adopted these seven sacraments as official doctrine. According to the Catholic Church, each sacrament dispenses God's grace, but no one sacrament has enough grace to save sinners. Thus, a person must take advantage of as many of the means of grace as possible that are available to them. In the end, the question will be whether one has accumulated enough grace to be saved. What is the way of salvation in the Catholic Church? Well, salvation comes through the church's channels of grace, the sacraments. The sacraments are how God's grace is received. Those who ignore the sacraments are lost, and those who accept them are saved because salvation is in the hands of the Catholic Church. Now, after the Reformation, and I always screw this word up, so anathema was announced on anyone who contested this doctrine of the Catholic Church. Anathema means cursed. Anathema means excommunicated. 
And here's what they pronounced after the Reformation. If anyone say that the sacraments are not necessary for salvation, let them be anathema. If anyone say that grace is not conferred by the sacraments, but that faith alone is sufficient for obtaining grace, let them be anathema. What must I do to be saved? According to the Catholic Church, we are saved by God's grace, offered because of Jesus' sacrifice, but that's not enough. According to the Catholic Church, it's Jesus and. It's Jesus and the Catholic Church. It's Jesus and God's grace dispensed through the Catholic Church. It's Jesus and the Catholic Church's channels of grace. It's Jesus and the seven sacraments. It's Jesus and what we do, our works. Now, the problem with this is how do you know if you've accumulated enough, enough grace to be saved? The problem with this is that assurance of salvation is absolutely impossible. The problem with this is that we can easily be filled with guilt and fear of which many of you are. The problem is, is that we can unintentionally assume we force God's hand. Like, oh, it doesn't even matter what I believe. It doesn't even matter how I live. Like, God, you have to forgive me. You've got to do what you, what you, you've got to do this because I have received your grace through these channels of grace. It doesn't even matter what I believe. And let me just ask you, if there is a God, you know, do you think that he takes his cues from you and me on who he chooses to save and not save? I'm pretty sure he does not. See, the problem with this is that salvation is no longer a gift. But it's based on works. So we have reason to boast. The other problem is that this stands in stark, stark contrast to what the writers, how the writers of the New Testament answer the question. Over a hundred times, the writers of the New Testament say, we are saved by grace through faith alone. Because of God's grace, faith in Jesus plus nothing is all that's required for salvation, according to the writers of the New Testament. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by baptism. We're not saved by church membership. We're not saved by communion. We're not saved by giving money. We're not saved by living a moral life. And we're not saved by faith plus works. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Now, our problem as Protestants is we have dumbed this down We've dumbed down what faith in Jesus is. We've dumbed down what it means. So, some think that this faith in Jesus is some type of one-time special prayer that you prayed in some type of special way, and then you're good to go. You got your, you know, fire insurance, you're getting out of hell, and you're good to go. And, like, I can live whatever way I want to live because I prayed that special prayer that one time when the pastor told me to pray that special prayer. Or as Protestants, we just start thinking, yes, we realize we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. But we start adding our own rules. We start adding a bunch of other stuff about how salvation comes. You guys, that is not faith in Jesus. What saving faith in Jesus is, as you read through the writers of the New Testament, it is confessing your sin, that you need a Savior. That you realize that you are a sinner and your violation of sin against the Holy Creator God has created a separation that you deserve his wrath. And then it's saying, Jesus, I trust that your death on the cross was sufficient to pay for my penalty of sin. So, Jesus, I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to put my faith in you by asking you to be the forgiver of my sins, to be my Savior. I need you to be my Savior. I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm proclaiming I want to follow you as my leader, my Lord, my God. I want to follow you. I want to surrender to you. I want to live for you. I'm not going, I don't want to live my way anymore. 
you got to know, Jesus didn't call those who put their faith in him Christians. He never used that word. He called those who put their faith in him his followers, his disciples, which means, hey, Protestants, if you don't want to surrender to Jesus, if you don't want to follow Jesus, if you don't want to obey Jesus, and if you don't want to grow in a relationship with Jesus, it may be an indication you've never put your faith in Jesus and are in a saving relationship with him. You be the judge of that. Jesus doesn't care if you're Catholic. He doesn't care if you're Lutheran. He doesn't care if you're Baptist. He doesn't care if you're non-denominational. He don't care what freaking church you're a part of because none of those things save you. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. We are saved by entering into a saving relationship with God through faith in Jesus. We are saved by becoming a follower of Christ, by putting our faith in Jesus, asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. Which brings us to the question that I think it's worth every one of us answering. How is a person saved? Is it through works or through faith in Jesus? If it's by works, which ones? One of the sacraments, some of the sacraments, all the sacraments. The problem is, if one sacrament's required for salvation, they're all required for salvation. And if I'm wrong about this, guys, and I might be wrong about this. I could be totally wrong about all of this. You make up your mind. I may be the biggest idiot in the world and have no idea what I'm saying. Some of you already think I do. Congratulations. I've confirmed it for you. I may be wrong about all this. But if I am. And you think any of the seven sac- the Catholic sacraments are required for salvation, you need to fully re-engage in the Catholic Church immediately. Because you don't get to cherry-pick these bad boys. If one of them's required, they all required. But if it's not by works, the other option is faith in Jesus. Unfortunately, many of us have concluded it's a blend of the two. It's like faith and works. It's a blend of the two. Where did you get that idea? Where did you get that idea? It can't be both because as soon as you enter the equation, it's no longer grace. Remember, the guy who wrote half the New Testament said it's a gift of God, not by works. So I think the question is, will you live your life trying to earn salvation Will you live your life trying to earn a right relationship with God through a set of religious works, rules, sacraments? Or perhaps is God's grace through faith in Jesus the ticket? Listen, remember what I'm about ready to say because this is so important. This is so, if you don't remember nothing else, remember this. God did not create us for a religion. He created us for a relationship. And Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to restore a broken relationship. God's goal is and God's goal was relationship. He created us for relationship, sent Jesus for relationship, saved us for relationship, and as followers of Christ, he calls us to grow in that relationship. God did not create us to, 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 to operate in fear. He created us to operate in love. He doesn't want us to approach him in fear. He wants us to approach him in love. He doesn't want us to grow in our fear of him. He wants us to grow in our Love of him. I think you're getting it. See, religion, it could be summarized with the word do. The problem is on your best day, you never know how good is good enough. Jesus said it's been done. D-O-N-E. 
What you could not do for yourselves, what I could not do for myself, God through Jesus did for you and for me. According to the writers of scripture, we are saved by grace through faith alone. It's by God's grace you've been saved into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus alone. Not by your religious works, it's a gift from God. Just because he loved you that much. In light of that kind of love, what else is there to do but accept this gift by putting your faith in Jesus? And if you haven't done that, today's the day. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, now you may have a background, you may be a Catholic, you may have an understanding of Jesus, believe he exists. But if you never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that when we close. And today's the day your fear can be removed. Today's the day your guilt can be removed. Today's the day you can become assured of your salvation. Now before I close, I want to quickly talk to those of you who say that you're followers of Christ. So those of you who say that you've put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and your life. This is so cool what I'm about ready to say. All the to-dos in following Jesus are in responses to what Jesus has first done for us. You read that again because it's terrible English. You get it though. Hey, do you know why we forgive others? Because Jesus first forgave us. Do you know why we love others? Because Jesus first loved us. Do you know why we serve because Jesus first served us to the point of death. Do you know why we're kind? Because Jesus was so kind to us first. Do you know why we put others first? Because at the cross, Jesus put us first. Do you know why we give? Because of all that Jesus first gave us. It's by God's grace through faith in Jesus, our relationship with him is restored. Nothing we do gets us in. It's by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone that our relationship with God is secure. Nothing we do Keep, keep, uh, keeps us out, and nothing we do takes us out. As followers of Christ, we are now called children of God, and nothing we do or, do or don't do can make our Heavenly Father love us any more or any less. And it's by God's grace through following Jesus that our relationship with God grows. Listen, we don't follow Jesus to gain anything. We, we follow Jesus because of all that we've already gained because of his amazing grace. We don't obey God to earn anything. Jesus already did all the earning for us. We don't obey God out of fear, but in response of gratitude for what's already been given to us. We don't follow Jesus out of guilt, but in response to our heavenly father's great love for us. We, we don't obey to get saved, but because we already are saved. We don't follow Jesus to stay in God's good graces. We do so because when we do, he transforms us more into everything he's created us to be. He fills us with his life and his hope and his peace and his joy and his assurance and our trust and our confidence in him grows. We are saved by, by grace through faith alone. When we accept the amazing grace of God, through faith in Jesus, by asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life, we experience what can never be experienced through religious rules and religious works. We start to see him as heavenly father, and we want to relate to him that way. We, we, we see how great the love our father, uh, of our Father for us truly is. We, we become overwhelmed with gratitude. We experience peace and never wonder where we stand with God. God's grace is truly amazing. And the less amazing you have been, the more amazing it is. The only other option is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness appears real holy. But as you know, it's real ugly. The best option, and really the only option, is to accept God's amazing grace through faith in Jesus. Receiving his amazing grace through faith in Jesus alone is almost too good to be true. But it shows you. 
how much love God has for you. So what I want to do is I want to leave you with a couple questions to wrestle through this week. Wrestle through on the car ride home or with your T-Life group this week or, or uh, just by yourself. Just wrestle through these questions. Here's the first question. What would change in you, your faith, and how you relate to God if it's true that you're saved, that you get in and stay in, if you're saved by unconditional, unmerited, unearned grace through faith in Jesus alone? What would change in you, your faith, and how you relate to God? Maybe not much. Maybe everything. Here's the second question. Most people respond to the idea of being saved by grace through faith alone with, but what about? So what's your, but what about? Hey, I guarantee you probably have one. Whether you grew up Catholic or you grew up Protestant or whatever you grew up, like, you probably have a, but what about? Ah, what about baptism? What about confession? What about communion? What about that one sin? What about their sin? What about that one verse? You probably have a but what about. That goes, yeah, I get it. It's by grace through faith of Jesus alone. But what about that one thing? What's your what about? As you identify your what about, the question you have to wrestle through is, is God's grace through faith in Jesus alone enough for you? Is God's grace through faith in Jesus alone, is it enough for them? And I'm pretty sure as Jesus was hanging on that cross, he would say, that's the only reason I'm up here. Let me pray. Dear Lord, uh, I'm just blown away by your amazing and extravagant love for us. God, we've just screwed up so much about what it looks like to accept that love and accept that grace. And, um, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, there's just some assurance that's through faith in you alone. Um, and I pray those of us who have put our faith in you, you remove our fear and guilt and doubt. Um, uh, Lord, for any person at home, online, or in this room who's never put their faith in you, Jesus, I pray that in this moment they do so right now, right where they're at, that in this moment they ask you to be the forgiver of their sins, to be their savior, and for you to be the leader of their life, their Lord and their God. I pray that as they do that, through the power of your spirit, you give them an assurance and a peace of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.